Tampa Bay Buccaneers are Super Bowl 55 champions, led by Tom Brady. And that's it, it's over. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome to For Future Considerations, episode number 12. Yes, we've made it into double-digit territory. My name's Manny Pava. As always, my partners in crime are with me. Matt Dumichel. Matt, how you doing? I'm amazed I've made it to episode 12. <laughs> I've, I've only offended about 40% of the population the last couple episodes here. Oh, the feedback from the curlers. <laughs> From the last episode. Who knew? I'm making up people who are not, <laughs> not curlers at all. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. And we're keeping around the other guy, even though he's up in Gray County. John Rashad, how you doing? Good. How are you? Good. You uh, you offended all the baseball uh, broadcast media companies last episode, but you yeah. made it to another one. That's right. Rogers will never hire me for anything. <laughs> yeah, I went after the curlers. <laughs> Rashad went after one of the biggest companies in the world. In the entire world. Here we go. Have you been watching the spring training baseball there, Rashad? You're a Jays fan. Uh, yeah, I watched the one game against the Yankees and was convinced the Jays were going to lose, and then they pulled it out. So I was pretty wrong. Shocking. Here we go. That, Even in spring training, Rashad's like, ah, they don't stand a chance. Always the pessimist, right? There's uh, seven innings in this. They're going to blow it yet. <laughs> if, if you aim low, there's nowhere else to go That's but right. over the bar, right? That's right. I'm, I'm rarely disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've gotten some great feedback over the last few shows, and thanks for following us on social media, too. And we're putting your feedback to heart for those people who send us emails at forfutureconsiderations at gmail.com. Uh, people have been sending us messages on Twitter too, right? Yeah, yeah. podcast uh, FFC on uh, Twitter, on Instagram for future considerations on Facebook. Uh, we read everything because there ain't that much, so <laughs> <laughs> we're uh, <laughs> we're bound to get back to you. I mean, we're gonna do continue to do polls. We're gonna continue to do uh, our, our rapid fire, and then we want uh, you guys to be just as involved as we are. Ryan, Jane, uh, Luke, uh, Jeff, uh, Kiefer. Uh, so many people who've reached out. Michael, thank you very much for reaching out. And we've taken your feedback to heart. A lot of you asked for more guests. Mm -hmm. So uh, after we had Steve Bell on, on one of our shows. So on this edition of For Future Considerations, the OT, we've got a special guest on the pod. This guy, I've known for a few years now. Uh-huh. Yeah. He, Has he admitted to knowing you yet? Yeah, I don't think so, actually. <laughs> I, I, think, I, I think he knows that somebody sent him money to actually be on the podcast. But this guy, this guy has played in the NCAA. Uh, he's played in the OHL. He's played not one, not two, seven pro seasons. Mm -hmm. He's worked with Hockey Canada. He's now... On the bench, he's an assistant coach, and he thought he wasn't busy enough that he decided to take on the title of assistant GM as well. And he works in the OHL with the Mississauga Steelheads. I thought he was going to be a broadcaster, but instead, he thought he'd go behind the bench. Please welcome to, for future considerations, Jeff Kurzakis. Jeff, how you doing, buddy? 
Not too bad, fellas. How are we all doing? <laughs> We're doing good. Uh, what's uh, day-to-day like for you right now? Well, listen, before we get started, I just wanted to touch on the beginning there. Uh, <laughs> I am... Uh, I am an equal opportunity uh, person when it comes to offending everyone. So, uh, there'll be no 40%. It'll probably be 100 or zero. Have you curled? Have I curled? I haven't. I've always wanted to. You know what? I think I've thrown some of the rocks, but not on the ice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dude, you can't do that while I'm drinking a beer here. Like, you gotta. <laughs> uh, have, you, have you offended baseball at all or any big media conglomerates or anything like that? I'm sure I've offended everybody. <laughs> you know what? I think I, I think I actually, poor Matt, I think I dropped an F-bomb way back when in Owen South. <laughs> no, that was, uh, that was Igor Gondolsky. That's okay. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, when English isn't your first language. <laughs> oh, man. Seriously, how busy have you been during this pandemic? Like as an uh, assistant coach for an OHL team without a season, assistant GM for an OHL team with the Mississauga Steelheads. You know, what have you been doing uh, during the pandemic? Well, I, you know, I know we were talking, I, you know, early on it was it was difficult to find things to do. And, um, you know, I ended up doing lots of stuff around the house. And then <laughs> summer rolls around and I get to golf, which is good. Um, you know, and I'm always at work in the yard and stuff like that. And, um, you know, in terms, of, in terms of obviously the coaching side, there's, you know, when we're not in lockdown, I, I'll go on the ice with with guys and do training, um, you know, kind of kids of all ages and then, you know, some of our guys. And, um, you know, so that keeps you busy. But from, a, you know, the assistant GM stuff, there's lots of stuff to do in terms of, you know, getting these guys schooling organized and mm-hmm. um, even all their payments that need to be met and um, just the day-to-day operations. Um, that stuff doesn't go away whether we play or we don't. So... Um, so that, I mean, that's kept me busy and, um, you know, not busy enough cause I'm painting the garage these days. <laughs> <laughs> have, have you painted it three times though? Like, come on, like, oh. no, that's, I, I, I got everything inside the house and, uh, I figured, well, it'd be ridiculous to paint a room twice in one year. So the only thing that's left is the garage. So. You'll have to put an addition on the house to paint some more rooms. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we got to get back playing so I can start making some money. Yeah. So. See, I got to know you. Uh, I had to look this up a little bit because I couldn't remember. But I, you landed in Owen Sound uh in the 0405 season right so it was 05 yeah. right when when you left western michigan um yes so, so how did you decide to go to western michigan and then what led you to coming to owen sound in the ohl oh man um how did i decide in western michigan well you know what i think i was going to st mike's in toronto and that's um obviously a big hockey school yeah but, uh they send a lot of players to the NCAA. Mm-hmm. It was, it's it was a great tier two program. It's it still is, and um, you know I played there, and it was kind of everybody was getting scholarships, and I was probably your prototypical OHL style player, and but I was, uh, you know, I was dead set on on wanting to go down to the NCAA, and I had a had a bunch of different offers, and it was you know I went on my visit to Western Michigan. I really I liked it. I liked the town and the school and. And the facilities and everything was great um, from an academic standpoint. And um, you know, hockey-wise, things things could have been better. And um, 
you know, I just ultimately made the decision that I wasn't going to hold myself hostage for, for free school for four years. And I really wanted to give hockey the best look. And um, at the time when I was making the decision, Owen Sound and uh, London were the top two teams in the country. They were one, two. And, um, you know, I was trying to decide where, where to go. There was three or four teams that I was considering, but there were so many um, – personal and, and St. Mike's connections up in Owen Sound um, through feuds and stuts and um, just people I know in the, in the, in the town. And it, it became uh, something I was really comfortable with um, almost right away. So that's kind of how I ended up there. And you played there for about a year and a half and you finished second in team scoring in 05, 06. And uh, you guys had some pretty good players on that team. I think of Bobby Ryan and Andre Sakara and Mike Angelitis and Bobby Saganetti and Josh Bailey in his rookie year. Um, who were you most impressed with when you were there? Uh, you know what? I, um, I'll start with it just the year before. Um, yeah, you, know, you had Patty three. Jarrett, Brad yeah. Richardson, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Biss, you know. So I yeah. Uh, yeah. shout out to shout out to. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I, we had some uh, we had some great guys on that team too. But I would say, uh, I th- the guy I'm most impressed with off of the first oh four oh five team is probably Brad Richardson. He's had an unbelievable career. Um, he's still going and he, he almost gets better with age. And I, he's a guy who really, um, he was a terrific scorer in the OHL and he really, um, identified what he was at the NHL level right away. And he's a guy who also never priced himself out of the market. Um, you know, if you look at some of the, the lockouts and the way, the way the game's gone now, it's either you're making 10 million bucks or you're on an entry level deal and kind of that middle class is squeezed out. And he never put himself in that middle class. He always put himself at the upper end of the lower class and he's always making a million and a half, two million bucks. But the guy's played for 15 years. And, um, you know, I sold that to me is really, really impressive. Um, when you talk about, you know, the team that was actually in the question you asked me, 0506, <laughs> um, you know, the, the guy, the guy I'd be most impressed with there is, is probably, and I remember this kid coming to camp and, uh, he was like 47 pounds. And I remember, I remember going, who the hell did we just take in the first round? <laughs> and, uh, you know, Josh Bailey's had. Um, if you had asked me early on, I, I wouldn't have predicted uh, where he's at now. But he's had a—he's another guy who's had a great career, um, and it didn't take very long playing with him. Even as a 16-year-old, he had a pretty decent impact with us. Um, and you kind of knew halfway through that season, this kid's going to be a pro. He's—he's he's smart, and um, you know you could see it. And I think uh, you know, good on Futes and Ian for making that pick and on Sound and. Um, Unfortunately, he was traded away for, uh, I think, <laughs> Anthony Guadalongo. Uh, that's, uh, that's pretty good. You know your OHL that, history, Anthony Guadagnolo. That, yeah. that, that was after my time, So, but uh, <laughs> I remember being surprised by the trade. But um, I just remember, I think Bailey still holds a team record in Owen Sound for most goals in a game. I think he scored five in a game in Erie. And... Uh, we came back on the bus and it, and it was an unbelievable scene after yeah. that trip to Erie. Yeah, he, um, I think he, uh, him and Bobby hold a lot of the 
a lot of those records in terms of uh, individual mm-hmm. games um, things. Um, you know what? I want to say Palmu had four or five one game um, three four years ago too. So it wasn't against uh, Mississauga, was it? No. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, I wouldn't have brought it up. Second of all, <laughs> I, I probably would have found a way to, to uh, find him in the hallway in between periods and make sure he come out. That'd be you. That'd be you. Yeah. So no, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. He was a fantastic player. He was fun to watch. A lot of, lot of great memories, obviously, on and on the ice and, uh, and off the ice in Owen Sound. What are some of the ones that stand out for you? Uh, plenty. Um, the, just the people of Owen Sound, um, first and foremost, um, really make, uh, your experience there. And, you know, it's, I'm a guy who, I was a kid who grew up in, it's kind of a city, Mississauga, Toronto kid. And, um, you know, you go play in a town of 20,000 people and it can be culture shock, but I, I loved it. And I really think your billets can make or break your experience in this league, even to this day. And, um, I certainly had a, a remarkable situation uh, in terms of where I lived and uh, <clears throat> you know, we're friends to this day. Um, still, still talk to Greg, my um, billet all the time and, and see him. And um, you know, so that was part of, that was part of it. And then in terms of lasting memories, you know, I, we had a good, a very good team that underachieved uh, the first year. And then we had a team that uh, probably way overachieved um, the next year. And I think uh, I think beating Kitchener out in the first round um, in 06 there was definitely, I mean, that probably sits uh, atop the list for sure. The three of us remember that because, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, when you and London were battling for top spot in the West the year before when you arrived, Kitchener yeah. upset you, right? You had... They, they did. So we were kind of, it was us and London were kind of Mem Cup favorites and Kitchener upset us in the second round in four. And um, the next year, Kitchener was very good, and they were they were kind of M Cup favorites, and we were, you know, we were sixth, seventh. We had that infamous last game of the season um, that nobody wanted to win. Yeah, uh, <laughs> to determine who who played Kitchener and who got to play Plymouth, and uh, you know, there's. You know, I'll, I'll let sleeping dogs lie, but there's, <laughs> there were some people in our organization that they're no longer around, but um, didn't want us to win that game because they wanted us to play Plymouth in the first round. They thought we would beat Plymouth, and they wanted to get to, they wanted to get more gate revenue, I guess. And um, you know, I know I, Futes and Stutz weren't really on board with that, and. I think uh, that game was against Windsor and we were tied with Windsor and uh, the winner got the prize of finishing higher and playing because of the way the seating works, playing Kitchener and the loser got to play uh, Plymouth who, who won the other division, but uh, probably wasn't as good as either of our teams. So uh, what ended up happening was we went up, we went up four, nothing early. And it looked like uh, Windsor wanted no part of being there. And, um, you know, I think the league maybe made a statement to them in between periods because Stutzy, you know, we're, we're heading into the playoffs. We're heading into the playoffs. So we're up for a rip and Stutzy says to me and 
Bobby and Angelita says, you guys can just untie your skates. You're not going to play the rest of the game. All right, terrific. So I sat back in the middle of the bench and figured I'd watch it. And, and uh, not because we weren't playing, um, but I think Windsor turned it up a bit. It was 4-4 within minutes. And, um, you know, the third period rolls around. We're still sitting in the middle of the bench with our kind of helmets undone and skates untied, and Stutzy calls our line. I've never seen three, I've never seen three idiots try and tie their skates up. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And we, we ended up winning that game in a shootout and um as irony would have it uh we beat kitchener in five games should have beat him in four but some bozo missed an empty net in double overtime <laughs> of game three <laughs> and I, I didn't want to bring that up i didn't want to bring that up he might have worn number 16 i didn't want to bring that up i didn't want to bring that up but and, that- uh and and windsor actually lost to plymouth in the first round. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, everything all's well that ends well. So, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think I remember it. It was so good, too, because Kitchener had beat you the year before to beat Kitchener and to win on their home ice in game five. Kitchener had beat us 11 straight games heading into the playoffs. Whoa. Wow. How about wow. that? Yeah. There's some numbers, you know, no matter how long after uh, they happen or, or things like that, like I, I would uh, I would expect that you're never going to forget that it was 11 straight times going into that series. And, and then you turn. Well, I, I cheated because because I watched a couple of those games that I uh, <laughs> during, during the pandemic. But I knew I knew we didn't um, and I'll never forget. I knew we lost all six against them in the regular season um, yeah. and a couple of them weren't close. And I, you know what? I remember. uh for some reason, we won that game against Windsor, the debacle game that got us the prize of playing a team that was much better than us on paper. And I remember we were in practice, and there was just a – Stutz had kind of really – he didn't want me and Ange and Bobby to play together. He thought we were – he liked it. He wanted to spread us out. He thought we'd be too thin if we had one line – Kind of during that week, he decided to put us together. And I remember we just had a confidence that we were going to do it. And one of our assistant coaches, Brian O'Leary, came up came up to me at center ice in practice and uh, maybe the day before the series started. And he said, you know, are you guys ready? I said, yeah, we're ready to go. And he, this is a podcast. I can, can I swear or no? Yeah, yeah, you go can. Right ahead. You can go right ahead. But, you know, well, I remember Oh, just looking at me going, well, we're going to fucking beat these guys. And for whatever reason, it, re- it resonated with us. And... Um, you know, we went out, and game one was a battle. Um, we won it with, with like a minute to go um, on an unbelievable play by Bobby Ryan, um, who passed it to some schmuck backdoor who couldn't couldn't miss. So, um, based on Bobby's play, and and we won that game late. And I remember, you know, we were extremely physical with them. So I went back and watched. I went back and watched the whole series actually, and we. Uh, we were unrelenting in, in our physicality. And, um, you know, I, there was a play right at the end of the game. We had it won, and there was three seconds left. And I ran my buddy, Victor Oreskovich, and kind of dirty, kind of from behind. But it was just – it was about playing for keeps and um, – You're sending you know, a message. Prisoners. prisoners. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, you know, we beat you in game one, and you didn't think we're, we're going to, and we're going to beat you again tomorrow at home. So, um, you know, we – we did that, and I remember actually, I, you got to go over to do the interviews, the Rogers interviews, right beside the Kitchener room, and 
And um, so we'd won the game, and I'd thrown that hit. And um, I remember Vic, who's, who's a buddy of mine, he's still to this day. I remember him attacking me outside the outside the room before the interview even started. So this is going to be a fun series. <laughs> <laughs> and one of, my, one of my old teammates, David Lomas, after I made that hit, he came in with like a uh, flying cross check, and he, got, he ended up getting uh, three-game suspension. So it really, I mean, it, that, that game one, the last two minutes really set the tone for the whole series. And um, we stunned him again in game two. Scotty Giles scored from behind the net with a little over a minute to go again. And uh, before they knew it, it was 2 nothing, And uh, that was a fun one. Yeah, uh, glad you bring that up because I thought when the Rangers beat you guys the year before when you were favored, they sort of played the physical game against you know, Richie and Jared and Ruzichka, I think, on that team. And and you guys returned the favorite to them the following year. And then all I remember is the after party at your billets, too. Uh, oh, man. And, <laughs> and your boy. Uh, if, if you remember that, you didn't you didn't go hard enough. <laughs> all I remember is driving some Slovakia vodka that was 100 proof or something like that. Oh, that's OK. So that's Slivovica. That's stuff like battery acid. <laughs> I'd love to see the COVID numbers in Slovakia. I bet they're zero with them. That's stuff down their throats. Oh, my goodness. I was literally crying when Andre gave it to me. I was losing my mind. I saw him yeah. a couple of days later, and uh, I asked him about this Slovakian uh, potion there. And he said, yeah, he goes, man, he had tears in his eyes. Oh, his, his, uh, his mother calls it medicine. And, uh <laughs> And I said, for what? <laughs> Medicine for what? Oh, man. Uh, oh, there's some great. Now, you know what? Then this, it makes me feel old because I'm actually older than Reggie. And, uh, you know, I got a player on our team now who's drafted by Dallas. And he was he was in the bubble with them for the whole playoffs, played in a couple games. But he, uh, you know, he was talking with Reggie all the time. And he calls Reggie old man. And I said, I, <laughs> This Thomas Harley, I said, I said, Harles, you you watch your tongue. I'm actually older than him. I played with him about 20 years ago. And he's still playing. So. Good on Reggie. Uh, the one thing I remember about that team too is you guys were so close. Like you and Ange and Bobby and and Reggie, for that matter. You guys were so close. Michael Uzis, I think, was in goal too. That was year. The, uh, yeah. It was the Greek Macedonian mafia running the running the team. There, but it was, uh, no wonder you guys went to shorties yeah. all the time. Right? Yeah. So in, you know what? I really think uh, I really think that played a huge role in um, in our success. And I remember I remember being a sixteen year old in junior, and I I remember how it felt to be a sixteen year old. And for, and Ange was great about this too. You know, we were always, and I remember we didn't even have a third away at the time, and. I remember us making the decision that we were going to, we wanted to include everybody. So in everything we did, so Josh Bailey, Marcus Carroll, our 16 year olds, mm -hmm. we wanted them to be as important as our 19 and 20 year old buddies on the team. And I really think if you make, and I, you know, I, we try and create this culture in Mississauga. I really think if you make um, everybody feel like they're, they have an integral role in, in, uh, in producing, um, you're going to get the best result in it. You know, at the end of the day, um, you know, I think, I think we ended up getting that in Owen Sound, and that was, um, you know, those everybody contributed, so which was uh, which was great, and 
you know, I have I have fond memories of that for sure. Jeff Kurzak is our guest on for future considerations. They called them crackers back in the day. Where the heck that come from? Well, uh, not the easiest last name, I guess. Um, Kurzak. Like, what's wrong but, with that? Yeah. For you, you get the you get the phonetic pronunciation guy. For <laughs> <years>. so, <laughs> what was the strangest thing you uh, heard yourself being called in some of these broadcasts? Oh man, I can't honestly. I can't even remember, but I know that um, for a while when I was younger, I was playing two age groups. I play my own, and I play the age group above. Um, you know, on Saturdays, so we, the teams would play back to back based on age groups. So I would just stay on and play again with the team a year older. I mean, the coach couldn't even comprehend how to say my name. So I was maybe ten years old, and I and he started calling me Crackers, and um, it's it has been Crackers ever since everywhere I've gone. And um, you know, I mean, it's really simple, but that's kind of how it came about. Do they still call you that in Mississauga? The oh, boys, yeah. uh, the boys yeah. call you that, yeah. Oh yeah. Sometimes they shorten it, <laughs> <laughs> and if they don't like me that day, it's, a, it's another term. <laughs> <laughs> well, after your time at Owen Sound, you you went on to play seven seasons of uh, a pro hockey in the ECHL, played in the Central Hockey League, won a CHL championship uh, with Shreveport in uh, 2010-2011, uh, playoff MVP that year as well. Uh, what uh, what can you remember about about that run? just how hard it was how hard it is to win it is a um it is a grind physically and mentally um but there are no breaks you realize that um you know when you're playing when you're playing for nine or ten weeks and four rounds um there's no there's no downtime i mean there's downtime physically but mentally you got to stay locked in the entire time so um you know, you're playing in different cities, you're flying back and forth and, um, you know, there's everything else that goes, goes along with playoffs and families coming down to see, and you really have the team that can best, sh um, shut all that stuff out and, and, um, stay mentally locked in has the best chance to win. And I, I remember how good it felt after, um, uh, we won, but, and there wasn't this huge celebration. It was like, you know, we should be here. This is where we should be in it. It was funny in the second round we were uh, we were facing elimination on the road in overtime, um, and it wasn't even a deciding game. And uh, none of us we went in in between periods. We went into the room, and I remember a couple of guys standing up saying, "Is anybody really worried here?" Like, no. And we just had this calmness about us. We went out, we won that in overtime, and we smoked them back in our rank in the deciding game. And then, wow. and then. Uh, we had some building issues in the third round, some scheduling issues. There was, uh, you know, the uh, unbelievably popular Josh Groban was having. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it, it forced us into having the first three games on the road, which is kind of unheard wow. of. And, um, three games. Team, wow. We had a team that was better than us. And, um, you know, we ended up, uh, we beat them in five. And, um, and, and you we still went, went to the Josh Groban concert, right? No, I don't. You talk about being you got, you talk about being mentally locked in. I would uh, I would never put myself in that building. Class, but, uh, 
I, uh, yeah, we went on, we played Colorado in the finals and it was, um, it was a great run. And I mean, you know what, you talk about how hard it is, like your, your entire body, you know, guys getting things frozen left, right and center. And, um, you know, I think, uh, I had two surgeries after we were done. Um, and it's just the price you pay the toll to win. You know, I think you talk to any NHL team that wins or American league team or wherever you're playing, um, there's a price to pay. And, um, it feels great at the end, but it doesn't happen by accident. That's for sure. You talked about um, the people of Owen Sound making that town, and uh, you played in a few different pro cities like Phoenix and Charlotte and Stockton, Biloxi, places like that. Um, what was your favorite place to play in the in your professional career? John ran out of breath there. He couldn't run. <laughs> I think he may have left a couple out too. <laughs> yeah. um, you know what? Uh, I loved, I really loved my time in Phoenix. Um, what a place. I mean, if that place had water, it'd probably be the nicest place. You know what it'd be? It would be, it'd be like Greece. It's got the same terrain and it's really? just, uh, just for the water. So it's a, it's an unbelievable place to live and golfing year round never hurts. And, um, and a close second, I remember being devastated. I got traded from Phoenix to Charlotte and I knew nothing about Charlotte and, I thought it was a dump and um, man, I love Charlotte too. Those two places are, were great. Um, you know, Charlotte, it's the second biggest banking center in the U S so there's a lot of young money there. And um, it was a great place to play. And then Biloxi, you got, you know, you right on the Gulf of Mexico there and it's a casino town. There's 10 or 12 casinos there. So I think I was 23 years old. So I certainly, I don't even know how many times I stayed at my own place. There. <laughs> <laughs> Ocean Springs. I think I got comp rooms at the Beau Rivage most nights. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then there's, yeah, there's Shreveport, Louisiana. You get the, uh, the Southern, Southern comfort there. And, um, Stockton. Well, we won't talk much about Stockton. What was it like uh, to play in Biloxi? Excellent. I loved it. Huh. I loved it. Yeah, and uh, you know they had an ECHL team for a long time, and um, they ended up losing it. Um, that's you know part of the part of minor minor league hockey is uh, teams are coming and going, and you know you look at the end of your career and you go, God, that team doesn't exist anymore. That team doesn't exist anymore. Um, I must have been a hell of a player. <laughs> right well, after you left, so, they knew it was all downhill after that, right? Yeah, well, that's I mean, that's what my billet said to me in Owen Sound. Said, you know, we tried one more year, but we just couldn't do it. So. You sound like a tour guide, though, when uh, this all ends and we're looking for a roadie to Phoenix or Biloxi. We're calling you up to show us the spots, right? I can absolutely help you out. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I would, I would highly recommend uh, – anywhere in Arizona and you know what I went I went to finish my career there um just I love I have all the time in the world for Arizona I think if I were to pick a place in the U.S. to live I'd have no problems living there so. hmm. yeah and when you were with uh, Arizona I guess the the second half of your hockey career started so you played one year uh next year moved into uh the interim uh head coaching role was coaching always something that you wanted to do and and I guess how did that uh transformation happen I always had my eye on coaching, even when I was playing, even junior. And I kind of paid attention to every coach I had. And, um, you know, you love stuff about them and you hate stuff about them and you kind of put it in the back of your mind. And um, 
but I knew that when I was done, it was, I really wanted to stay in the game. And I, I think I struggle with leaving the game and coaching honestly is, it's a great way to ease the transition out of playing. You do miss the competitive nature in terms of being able to go out there and in front of fans and score a goal or put somebody through the glass or whatever is fun for you. And, um, you know, that year it, it was, it was all the same year actually. And the way that transpired was I got hurt. Uh, I got hurt kind of part way through the year when it was my third concussion in, uh, you know, a year and change. So, um, and we'll get into this here shortly, but uh, it was Kip Brennan, who was a tough guy in the NHL for a long time and, yeah. and a tough guy in the OHL. And so Kip got me with a hit. Um, and uh, I was out for a while. And in that period, we fired our coach. But our uh, our GM at the time fired a coach without having anybody to fill in for him. And we were going on the road. We were playing the top three teams in the league. And I was out hurt. And I remember, I remember saying to him, it was almost like it dawned on him that he'd made a mistake. You know, I said, <laughs> I said, I said, Chris, who, who's coaching? Oh, uh, and you know, there's this long pause. I said, I said, would, I said, would, would you like me to do it? Um, <laughs> oh, I'm out. So I did it. We went on the road. Then we played the top three teams and, and uh, it was a team probably dying for a coaching change because we went three and all. And, um, that was the end of my brief start of coaching because I, uh, I was close to healthy and, uh, I brought in our coach that I had in uh, Louisiana that we won with. And, um, I called him up. I said, Muskie, you gotta, you gotta come here and, and finish the year out for us. Um, cause I'm not done playing. And, and he came and finished the year for us. And I, I played, uh, and that was it for me. I got hit again in the playoffs and I probably shouldn't have continued playing, but I did. And, um, I wasn't, I struggled for a couple of years after that, um, symptomatically. Um, but that, yeah, that was the end of my playing days. So coaching came shortly after. But you had a 100% winning percentage as a pro hockey coach. Yes. Yeah, I still do. Yeah. <laughs> Put thing. that on the resume. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. So. <laughs> and then um, you started uh, with the Steelheads as an assistant coach, and now you're assistant GM. Um, you said you were always interested in coaching. Were you always interested in managing? Yeah, I think I, I really I like the whole process of it. And it's funny how you evolve over time. I didn't love um, scouting when I first started doing it. It's, it's part of the job, obviously. And, um I love doing it now. As you go through a whole cycle, you go through five years, and so you see players you scouted, and you see how they did throughout their entire OHL career, what kind of pros they are now. And, you know, once you kind of you, you get through your first cycle, um, you know, you really love seeing and being able to identify, even at 15 now, you know, you, you have a pretty good idea. You know, you're pretty confident. I can look at a kid and say, I'm pretty sure he's going to be a pro. And, um you know, this kid projects well, or this kid's a great minor midget player. I don't think he projects well at the next level. And um, so scouting is something that came to be a passion for me over the process. But, you know, I in terms of building a team, building a roster, um, the OHL, junior hockey in general is unique with a five-year window. So you kind of get a, you kind of, you got to have good players in each age group. Um, 
you know, and if you're, you kind of, you're always building towards a certain year sometimes. So, um, you know, maybe your old ones are fantastic. So, you know, when they're 19, that's the year you're going for it. And, um, you know, so I, I think kind of just the strategy and putting pieces together and seeing how it's going to play out two years from now, three years from now, four years from now is, is extremely intriguing for me. And people ask me all the time, you know, you make your next move. You're obviously not going to do both jobs. What do you want to do? And I tell them, I haven't, honestly, I, I have no idea. I, I love them both. And it, it'll kind of be situational in terms of what I think is the best move at the time, but it'll, it'll be tough giving either one up. So how did you develop uh, your, your eye for scouting? You'd said it's something that you weren't comfortable with at the beginning. And it, I'm assuming it's something that you just kind of learn on the job as you go but uh having played uh now sitting up in the stands and, and watching some of these kids uh, what what are you looking for and, and how did you develop uh, that that scouting eye um it, I, I don't want to say i didn't have it or i wasn't comfortable with it i just didn't like it um and i i love it now and if, you know for all the reasons i just mentioned in terms of um seeing that progression over a five, six year period. Um, you certainly do learn things over that time though. So you learn to, you learn what to look for, what's important at a certain age, what means nothing. Um, and I think a real important part of scouting for a major junior is, is doing a bit of bantam scouting. So not just minor midget, but, um, you want to get a bit of progression on these guys. So I do lots of spring stuff where I go on the ice with kids who are two years out from the draft or three years out from the draft or I'll coach spring teams. And it's all of it is to give me intel in terms of um, what kind of kids they are, um, how good they are at 13 or 14. And then, you know, you circle back and you see them at 15 and, you know, are they, what's their trajectory? Like, are they going up? Are they going down? Or are they kind of staying the same? Um, kids grow. There's a million different factors and uh, being able to recognize them and kind of weed out what's, what's important at the time and what isn't and being able to project is, is the, the biggest key. And I think it's something that's constantly evolving. And um, if you think you're done training your eye ever, uh, it's probably the end of your scouting days. So I think you're always learning how to, how to get better and, and pick out the gems, you know, cause it, you know, yeah, you got to hit on your first round picks, but um, there's a lot of people who don't watch very many games who could probably tell you the first round. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, especially in the OHL, if you can get a, you can get a kid in the third or fourth or fifth round who becomes an impact player, that's, that can really catapult your hockey club, um, into a contender, um, just based on one draft. So the work is important, but it's never, it's never ending. And when you have, when you add coaching into it, um, it's, there's a lot that goes into it for sure. And uh, as far as the coaching philosophy side of things, uh, I'm sure you had an idea from the coaches that you'd uh, played for uh, going into it. Um, is that where you developed your your philosophy as a coach, or how many times has your philosophy changed uh, over the uh, the coaching career that you've already got going? I think, it, like I said, I think you take bits and pieces from coaches you like, and um, you combine it with some of your own thoughts and make it your own. But um... I think the biggest thing about coaching, especially today is, you know, like when I played in the league, I played for Mike Stuthers and mm-hmm. Stuthers was a great coach, but he was a tough, mean coach. And, um, you know, there wasn't, uh, it was just the way the league was at the time. I think now the biggest 
part, the biggest component to coaching is managing people. That's mm-hmm. what you do. And, um, you know, that the, if, if you can best find ways to best manage the people, uh, you get the most out of them. And, it, you know, you got 23 guys in your team. There's probably 23 different ways of approaching guys and dealing with them and coaching them, um, which really, you know, I think the coaches who can figure that out the quickest um, and identify their guys and get the most out of them end up getting um, the job done, you know, on the ice the best because the player's comfortable and he's confident and he's you're getting everything out of him that he's capable of. Um, you're obviously going to succeed more than um, more than you should or could uh, otherwise. So, you know, I, th- I think that um, along with the game's ever-changing, the game's evolving, the style's changing, you know, we want to play a possession game, speed, you know, kind of jam it down your throat speed where we're always coming at you and there's no breaks. Um, and, we're, you know, we're going to play fast pace. We don't want to dump the puck in. You know, we don't want to be one of those teams that traps it up. And um, especially in our league, because at the end of the day, yes, it's a business. We get a win, but um, we have to develop hockey players, too, for the next level. And mm. I'm not sure what you're showing an NHL club by by playing a 1-3-1 or a 1-2-2 or let your guys play. Um, but at the same time, you got to teach them the detail uh, that's necessary to be pros in, in terms of playing away from the puck and the defensive side of things and um, getting after pucks and how you prepare your body and all those things, all those little things that you learn from 16 to 19 um, before you become a pro. So like I said, you know, you you borrow a little bit from every coach you, you play, uh, play for, and then um, every coach you work with along the way as well. It's a good thing you mentioned Stutz because he's a, he's a friend of the podcast. So, uh, I love honestly. I uh, I talked to him a little bit over Christmas. I love the guy, and uh, I have all the respect in the world for him and Futes. And um, I know it won't be very long before uh, Stutzy's back coaching, and maybe uh, maybe in our league, hopefully for uh, for him and um, keep him close to home. And uh, you know, I I he. I remember my overage year, he gave it to me a couple times, like ripped me, <laughs> absolutely ripped me. That uh, sounds about right. <laughs> and and I'm sure I was, well, I know I was deserving of it. Uh, <laughs> I think I threw a shoe in a restaurant one time and he lost his mind. <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't have thrown that at Fred Wallace. Like, what were you doing yeah, throwing the so, shoe at Fred Wallace? So, uh, yeah, you know what? Um, but the, the, I give him credit. He would rip India. And he would, it was forgotten about, he would forget about it quicker than I would. Um, so he, one game at St. Mike's and that's, we had three or four kids who played at St. Mike's and we went back into that tiny building. It was my first time playing there in the OHL. And he decided he was going to play, he was going to start the three St. Mike's guys up front. Well, we hadn't played a shift together as a line all, all season. So uh, as you can imagine, the first period didn't go very well. That's uh, <laughs> Stutzy ripped into me for the entire intermission. 17 straight minutes. Just stood in front of my stall and ripped into me. Wow. And, I, and I was a 20-year-old. I, I think I had 25 goals by Christmas. I'm sitting, my, I'm sitting in my stall going, all right, like, whatever. Say what you got to say and we'll move on. Like, I, I wasn't really worried about my place on the team. And, um, <laughs> you know, we had, we really had one power play unit. You know, it was me, Ange, Bobo. 
uh, Reggie and Sangs. And uh, we were on a power play to start the second. I always remember St. Mike's has that elevated bench for the backup goalie. And I went and sat up there, and we had four guys on the ice, and the refs waiting to drop the puck. And I remember Stutz looking looking down. He's, he's trying to figure out what's going on. Like, why do we only have four guys on the ice? We've had the same power play all year. And he looks down at me, and he goes, what the fuck are you doing? I said, well, you just ripped into me for like 20 minutes. I, I didn't think I was playing here. He goes, he goes, you're on the fucking power play, no? So I, I hop on the ice, and I'm not, I'm not lying to you guys. I'll have to look it up, but I think I scored like eight seconds into the period. <laughs> and I didn't celebrate at all. I didn't go by the bench. I didn't go with our guys. Nothing. No, not not into the huddle. I literally put my stick down. I went to center ice and I put it down like I was ready to take the next face off. And then those are the old days of VHS video. And I remember Stutzy pausing it in the video room and and uh, he's like, look at this guy. He's pissed off at me. He goes, but you know what? If you want to tell me to take a hike by scoring goals, you can do it anytime you want. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! And and now you're uh, you're coaching with uh, James Richmond, right? He was he was GM, then became head coach, and brought you on as vice a versa. Vice versa, head oh, coach okay. became GM, yeah. right? Yeah. And then brought you in as the assistant GM, right? Uh, yeah. So. I've known uh, James Boyd was there too. So yes. My first year, James Boyd was the GM and James Richardson was the coach. Um, and I've known both of them for a long time. Um, so JR, when he took over, he, he wanted me on his staff as an assistant coach. And, um, you know, but I'd known Boydie for a long time as well. So it was a very comfortable situation. It was a great place to start your OHL coaching career. And um, we, we ended up going to the finals. Um our first year there and uh, had a pretty good run. Not without adversity though. We were, uh, we were dead last in the league December 4th. And we, we started the year top 10 rankings in Canada, mm -hmm. like kiss of death. And we stunk until December 4th. And uh, a couple guys were hurt. A couple guys came back and I remember everything came together and we only lost three, four games the rest of the year from December 4th on. And we ended up, we clinched our division like a month early and we were dead last in the league December 4th. But, uh, you know, JR has been great to work with and Boydie ended up leaving for Ottawa, um, after that run to the finals and, uh, JR got the GM job. And, um, obviously when you're head coach in the league, there's, there's a lot on your plate. So he needs, uh, he needs somebody to do a lot of the, uh, a lot of the monotonous work that um, surely he doesn't have time for. And, um, you know, so that's kind of how that evolved and came about. And I mean, it seems like in the years since you're constantly adding things to your duties every day. And um, I wouldn't have it any other way. I love being busy. I hate, I can't stand not being busy. So I'd rather be overworked than underworked. And um, it's been a great, great situation. Your house looks good though when you're not working. <laughs> well, I'm a, I, you know, I'm a bit of a neat freak, so it's always in shape. Uh, of course, uh, of course, I, uh, I painted it all, so we're good. And, uh, but no, I didn't. St listen, I didn't just stop at my house. Okay, I was in. I redid all the rubber flooring in the dressing room, and I painted the. I painted the walls in the dressing room. Like this is, I can't have. I'm telling you right now, I can't have a day off. 
unless I'm unless I'm on a beach in uh, Europe somewhere, I can't do nothing. Like I can maybe I can sleep in, but that's about it. When I get up, I have to have something to do. So, um, I'll make up stuff to do around the house. I can tell you that. How often <laughs> have you been talking to your players during the pandemic? Then have you uh, stayed in touch with them a lot during this uh, downtime? Then. Yeah, lots. I mean, we got some guys playing pro hockey. We got, you know, guys who've, uh, you know, long stretches in NHL camps or with NHL teams. Um, then we got guys who've gone to Europe or they're playing in the American League. And being Mississauga, we do have a lot of guys who are fairly local. So um, in between uh, lockdowns, uh, you know, we have the opportunity to, you know, um, maybe do skill development, um, things like that. Um, so I, we really have been, you know, we have Zoom calls kind of every couple of weeks with our group and uh, trying to uh, just trying to keep everybody positive and uh, ready because it's been a, you know what, this has been hard on all of us as adults, but I couldn't mm -hmm. imagine going through this as a, as a kid. And I know Manny, you have kids. Um, you know, I couldn't imagine one or two years of your lives, basically just giving them up at that age. And um, it's got to be tough on them. I know it's tough on all our guys not playing draft year guys, always guys who are in their draft year for our league, everybody really. So, you know, it sucks. And um, I think everybody's dealing with it as best they can. And hopefully we come out of this soon, soon enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So what have you been doing like uh, for yourself development wise? Like uh, you've mentioned watching a, a, a bunch of games already. Um, are you a, are you a reader? Are you a, a podcast guy? Um, like what uh, what types of things have you been digging into to uh, uh, to improve yourself? All of the above, really. But, um, you know, a lot of the on ice sessions I've done in the past year um, have been very I've done more skill development sessions in the last year than I've done probably my whole life. Um, and that forces you to become a better coach. It really does. Um, it forces you to constantly be thinking of ways to make players better. And so you're changing up what you do in terms of what you're, what you're having them do on the ice drills you're doing. You know, if you're on it, if you're on the ice, you know, I have one kid I've been on the ice with them probably 80 times, maybe 90 times in the last, you know, half a year. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you can't throw the same arsenal at him all the time because uh, he's going to get bored. So I think constantly just doing skill development really it really drives you to think about ways to um, come up with new drills and, and get better. And, you know, you wa I watch a lot of NHL hockey, and it's funny. You know, you watch clips and you say, oh, you know, I like that. Um, how can I incorporate that into um, skill development, what I'm doing with, the, with these guys when I'm on the ice? Um so those are all things to do. And then, um, you know, a guy I worked with when I was younger uh, as a player, Daryl Belfry, mm -hmm. um, you know, he's a big, big skill development guy to, uh, to all the guys, all the top guys in the NHL. And I, I chatted with Daryl a bit, um, you know, around the release of his book. And um, certainly I read his book pretty quickly um, just to, I think you can still, I think you can always pull a little bit from everybody. Uh, in the game that, Hey, I like this. You know, I like that. And you can end up combining things to, with your own, um, likes to come up with your own, your own flavor for something. So, you know, I think the, the downtime has certainly forced me to become, uh, 
uh, have a lot more depth to uh, the skill development side of, of being a coach. And for yourself, I mean, uh, not trying to look uh, too far into the future, of course, and, and still a job to be done. Uh, what what types of goals did you have set for yourself as a coach? Um, do you want to make the jump to be a, a head coach in the OHL? Are you looking beyond that? Uh, what what kind of things are you uh, are focused on yourself? I think you're always um, trying to find ways to um, move up the ladder and develop. And yeah, certainly that's the aspiration is to continue moving up. And I was lucky enough uh, this summer to have um, two interviews in, uh, in other leagues, I guess. Um, Good for you, man. That, that, that would be a step up and they're, they're all learning experiences. And, um, you know, I, I think it's, you know, you're constantly, you're constantly evolving, but it, I, I didn't really think I was leaving Mississauga um, when I went on those interviews. Um, I was prepared and, and I thought I had had a good interview, but at the end of the day, um, you know, my, I, I did it in the first place just to kind of, it's something you eventually want to do. So mm -hmm. you want to learn about the process and um, especially when you're in the room with people who are, who are, who are pro, you know, they're part of, you know, NHL organizations and, um, you know, they certainly, it's just a different, it's just another level. It's a different level. So, um, I think that just gives you something to take back to, to junior, even, um, whenever we're allowed to coach again and, and uh, <laughs> you know, and use, and use these things you learn. So I, you know, it is, I, I certainly do have aspirations to, uh, be either head coach or GM, um, or an assistant coach in a, in a higher league, you know, like the American league or, or whatnot. So, um, it's all about timing and, and constantly trying to evolve and get better. And, um, you never know when that, when that chance may come, but, um, JR has been great to me and our whole staff. We, we really do like, uh, working with each other. So there's certainly not a rush to leave. I, I love mm -hmm. the, the players we have and the kids there. And, um, you know, I certainly, uh, it would definitely have to be the right fit for me to, um, uh, leave at this point. No aspirations to be a broadcaster, huh? After all those appearances with Manny Pava on Rogers TV. Would you want to have to say names like mine? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Alan Lazarchuk, we traded for, and uh, you know, I, I it took me uh, it took me a couple of weeks just to learn how to spell his name. <laughs> I still can't for spell odd, his name, so I don't know. For, the, for the odd time, I had to do the game sheet. Uh, so, um, you can't yeah. put nicknames on the game sheet. Yeah. I, I would just put his number if I could. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Just a couple of questions left for Jeff Krasakis, who's been great on the show. Uh, you mentioned some of the great cities uh, that you played in in pro hockey. Do you have a favorite barn from your time in the O? Uh, there's a couple. But, I mean, if I had to pick one, Kitchener, I think, going into Kitchener. And I know that'll rattle the people in Owen Sound, but um No, I don't think it will actually after especially after that oh five, oh six season. So Yeah. Yeah, that's I'd my favorite go, spot too. I loved going in there. It's just a great junior rank. The atmosphere mm -hmm. is always outstanding. Um you know lots of kids say London and London's great, but it's it's very it's new age. There there isn't a ton of character in the building. But 
that being said, it's an outstanding junior environment. Like when you when you get nine thousand plus in a building and you're you're in your teens playing hockey. I mean, it's an unbelievable place. It's so fantastic for our league to have it, um, to draw some of the best players. And I know people complain that they always seem to end up in London, but I don't listen. I'm not, I don't, uh, begrudge them. I think it's fantastic for our sport and our league. Um, and then Ottawa, and I know they've kind of, they went out to Canada there for a couple of years and they kind of dropped off, but that lands down area is so nice now. And, um, if they can get back to pumping seven, 8,000 fans in there, um, what a place to play that is too. You were known to hold your own back in the day too. Uh, toughest guy you played against in the O and in the pro circuit. Do you have somebody that comes to mind? Man, I, I Honestly, I'd really have to think about it because when I, you know, as well as I do, when I played, there were, there were three or four clowns on every team. And, um, <laughs> on every team, right? Yeah. Like on every team. But, but they were certainly, they were such a big part of the game and they were the best guys, um, you know, and and lots of them, it had already started, but lots of them could play at that point, you know. Um, you know, once down, we had Theo Peckham and Bissonette, and like those guys played in the NHL. Um, so they certainly could play. Um, I would have... Man. Do you stay in? Think. Do you stay in touch with think. a lot of those guys? Do you stay? Oh in yeah. Touch? yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. Um, I, a big part of working in the game is it's a small world, right? And you're constantly—you're. I wouldn't call it networking, but you're constantly in touch with everybody, just kind of keeping your finger on the pulse of mm-hmm. the game, kind of all over the all over the globe, wherever these guys are. So, honestly, Kip Renan in pro hockey would be one of the toughest. Uh, him or. Uh, Jeremy Yablonski. Um, I know that but name. Kip, Kip, Kipper, I told you, he hit me and uh, and kind of, I guess, kind of ended my career there. Um, and I ended up coaching. But the, the funny story was, um, you know, when you're coaching in those leagues, you really make a lot of player personnel decisions. So I ended up trading for him. <laughs> and so the guy who ended my career like like a month or two earlier uh was now was now part of uh, our club there and um which we, we got him from uh he's playing in allen texas and when we got him uh it was right at the trade deadline he had nowhere to live and i had this i had this house right on the golf course in arizona and i had, I had an empty room so not only did I trade for him. He ended up living with me. Wow! Keep your friends close, and uh... yeah, your enemies closer, right? Yeah. Okay, my, my my dog, I still have to this day. I think bit him a couple times. So, right, so you're even. Out of me. Oh. Hey, uh, how good's Mississauga going to be whenever you start playing again? If we play this year, I think we'll be. Um, you know, without putting too much pressure on our guys, I think I think we should be uh, in the upper portions of the league. We got a great, great 01 core, and our OAs are fantastic. And uh, our goaltender's great. He's actually in the American League right now uh, with the Marlies. And um, you know, I really, I really hope for their sake they get the chance to. You know, this is kind of this is a year we've kind of been uh, building towards a little mm-hmm. bit. And, uh, you know, you, you really want for everybody's sake for it to happen, um, you know, because not that we're taking a step back next year, but we're certainly getting younger. 
um, because we're losing all our old ones and, and 2000s for the most part. And, um, you know, we'll be a younger club and we should be competitive and good again. But um, I think the expectations this year is we could be real, real good. Well, we hope we get a chance to see that too. Jeff, this has been fantastic. Thanks for joining us on the pod. Thanks for having me. Hopefully I didn't uh, offend too many people or swear too many times. Um, Can't be any worse than what we've done already. Yeah, I think so. you were pretty good today, actually. <laughs> Jeff, you're on your best behavior. This well, coaching yeah. thing is, uh, has made you soft. Yeah, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm calm, right? Well, you know what? The guys tell me all the time, like my first year, I probably snapped, you know, a few times, and I've mellowed out over over uh, time here. So, but <laughs> I did it. I, you can see here, you guys can, the listeners can't, but I got lots of gray poking in, and I, I can tell you I had zero when I started coaching. <laughs> <laughs> Just wait till you have kids. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I do. I have 23 of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where'd the mean streak come from? Is that Do we blame that on Patty, or do we? <laughs> oh, man, probably, because my dad's one of the most – patient people i've ever met on the <laughs> he's one of the nicest guys i've ever met in my life yeah, so. great family yeah. Yeah. not that my mom isn't she's she's very nice too so i did honestly it's it's just the competitive uh, nature inside you and um i think when you're a young coach uh you have to learn how to channel your emotions as much as you did when you were a player so i'm just giving patty a hard time but i appreciate this can't wait to actually see you in person when this thing's all over yeah, hopefully at uh, the beautiful rink there in Windsor, uh, we get to uh, we get to hang out pre or post game uh, one of these days soon. Yeah, you got to stay over one night too. So, uh, make I sure. did, I did. Don't you remember? We traded for that kid, and I stayed in Windsor to meet him. Yeah, but you never let me know until you were leaving the next morning. No, I texted you, but it was New Year's Eve. You had something. Oh right, 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 right. right. Yeah, you were hanging out with Schmoopy all night. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was ready to go down to the casino and have a time. It was New Year's Eve, and uh, you I still I did. Up, you still I think did. I ended, up, I ended up staying and watching TV at the Super Eight. Uh, whatever. <laughs> you're you're not telling the whole story, Crackers. Thanks for this. I appreciate it. No problem, Jeff Jeff Kurzakis, assistant coach and GM of the Mississauga Steelheads. That was a lot of fun, and uh, we've got some more shows coming up. Remember, you can follow us on social media. Yeah, Instagram and uh, Twitter, uh, Podcast FFC is the username uh, for future considerations on Facebook, and the email address for future considerations at uh, gmail.com. John, always good to chat with you. Good to talk to you guys. Thanks, Jeff, and uh, we'll be back next time on For Future Considerations. That was a disgraceful performance, in my opinion. In my opinion, that sucked. Their mentality's awful. Their attitude's awful. It's been their M.O. for the last three years. Tonight I saw and heard one of the most disgusting, rudest, sick demonstrations in my entire career. Probably the worst. It's garbage. And the editor that let it come out is garbage. You're still here? It's over. Go home.